I would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. As you have heard me say, we are going to step out of our ongoing study in Hebrews for this morning. I often do that on Mother's Day. There are always things related to family and so on that I like to address, and so this is that opportunity. So 1 Peter 1, and then sermon notes from your bulletin would be great. Uh, I want to, I want to um, start with a, a story that I heard recently from a family narrative. I was listening to uh, a conference online uh, just a short while ago, and uh, Dr. Brian Chapel, a pastor and uh, seminary president, Chapel, of course, an interesting name for a pastor, but nonetheless, uh, he was telling a story from his family history that caught my eye and my heart and leads us to the text, even as it did in his case. But he was, he was telling the story um, from family history, his father-in-law, who, as a young man, 18, was drafted in the World War II days to go to war. He turned 18 during the middle of World War II, and he was part of that group of 18-year-olds who were drafted seriously, given two weeks of basic training and a rifle stuck in their hands and sent to the bloodiest battle of the war, they call it, the Battle of the Bulge. So here is an 18-year-old, not a month away from home. Uh, Some called him the diaper brigade, but I'm sure they didn't like that. Uh, And here he was, as the ground shook around him, bullets whizzed by, things blew up, an 18-year-old way in over his head. Um, only eight in his unit, he among them, of course, made it back. Um, stories to tell and memories to, to get over. He, upon returning 1945 into the war, <clears throat> went to Washington University in St. Louis. And while there, uh, heard, <clears throat> heard news excuse me, um, that a tornado had gone through their hometown. In fact, his neighborhood. And so he did what any son would do and jumped in his car and and made a beeline for home, not knowing, of course, what he would find. Uh, He turned down the the road, the long road toward the farm where the family lived, the rows of trees, uh, comfort as they were all seemed to be intact. And he turned the corner to come to the, the clearing where the house and everything else was. And it was empty. Everything gone. He stopped the car. He began to to bleed, his nose just right away began to bleed, that, that, that fear. Uh, there was shredded lumber everywhere, clothing, uh, shards, pieces of clothing hanging in the trees, as you've seen pictures, and silence. Hole where the ground was. Now, in his early 20s, uh, a man who had seen uh, terrible things in Europe and felt the ground shake was terrified. Now, in telling that story from his father-in-law, Pastor Chapel, asked this question at this moment. He said, what difference do you think it would have made if at that moment he had known that his family had survived, that his parents and his sisters were okay, that he would graduate from college and find a wonderful young lady and God would give them children, all of whom would grow up to follow Jesus. Wow. Did he have a great career and die in old age? 
What if at that moment of crisis, he knew all of that? Would it have made a difference? Now, of course, you know, as do I, we mercifully don't know all the details ahead. But there are things we do know as followers of Jesus. There are things we do know that should affect those moments of panic that come to us. Moments of fear. Now, today, as you see my title, Parenting with Hope, Not Fear, I, I want to press on a number of things today. My intent is to encourage hope not fear. And I want you to hear me carefully so that you don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. <laughs> Ultimately, I want to point us to Jesus Christ and to the reality that living with hope is part of the heritage of the child of God. All right? So that you will live with hope rather than to be captured by fear. Now, if you look at your sermon notes, a couple things. I want to pray for us in the middle of that section called today's, today's text. Please get this. The world has always been a fearful place. And I know I should say more accurately, the world after the fall has always been a fearful place. If if you think that fear is only from the last 12 months, you are wrong. Okay? Parenting has always been attended by fear. Always. I sometimes hear people today say, man, this seems like a rough time to bring a child into this world. And I would dare you to find me a better one. What year would you like to go to and say, oh, this would be a wonderful time? Maybe in the middle of Nebraska someplace. Uh, I don't know. I've never lived in Nebraska. I'm, I'm just saying the world has always been a fearful place. It has always been a fearful time for parents. I was raised with some of those things. My mom born in 1924, and I, I, one of six kids. And I remember her talking about her two brothers, Ralph and Harry, who didn't make it out of their teen years telling what it was like for her mom. She remembered. My, my mom was little. Uh, a 14-year-old dying at home. See, there are other things that, that cause children to die. Uh, a 19-year-old, I think he was. I think the older one. Uh, the other, the third remaining son called to go to World War II. How about that, Mom? Which year would you like to raise your kids? Now, my intent today is to build hope, not fear. I'm simply saying... Seasons of, of fear have, have always attended since the fall. I did some numbers crunching this year, this year, this week. And I was just looking at the number of our young men, U.S., who, who did not come back from World War I. That means this many, 116,000 families who lost a son. Uh, World War II. You remember the number? Do you know? Uh, in a smaller country at the time, 405,000 families who lost boys. Wow. And I could go through Korea, Vietnam, uh, back in the 50s, late 50s, or early, late 40s, early 50s, the polio epidemic crippled thousands of children in America. Thousands. Wow. I'm just saying, fear has always attended us. Now, I want to pray for us on this Mother's Day because I want to encourage hope, not fear. My, my concern today is that you will hear me say, as I press on hope, not fear, you'll hear me say things about lack of caution, that, that I am intending to press lack of caution. That is not anywhere close to my mind. 
hope and caution can go together. I do wear my seatbelt. Okay? So as I, as I urge us to live with hope and to fight for hope, to fight for joy, uh, do not hear me in any way um, say what I am not. So I want to pray that God will help us in his word and that God will encourage your hearts and yours. Pray with me, please. Our Father, uh, thank you so much that we can come with the people of God and open the word of God and here be encouraged, challenged, instructed. And we need the ministry of the Spirit of God today to use the word of God to build us up, to call forth faith, to direct us to Christ. And our Father, where, where fear reigns, it is my prayer that instead hope and joy would take over, all because we know and serve a risen Savior. And Father, on this Mother's Day as well, I know that these days, hallmark days, so to speak, um, bring for many times of joy and celebration, for others uh, times of remembrance, even sadness or regret or loss. Uh, emotion comes our way. And I pray, O oh God, you the one who sees whatever our hearts carry today, that you would meet us right there in the preaching of your word. Draw us to Christ is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at your sermon notes, I want, to, I want to look with you at what I intend to do for the time we have together this morning. In looking at 1 Peter, under that first heading, I want to, to, to surf, as it were, the whole book. There are just a certain number of texts I'm going to read with minimal comment and then make several observations about them. Okay, Context is part of it. All of that under this heading, Christian hope is not reserved for good or safe Times. Christian hope is not about something you only have when things are good and things are safe, else we would not ever have it. Christian hope is about more than that. And then we will zero in on one paragraph, chapter 1, 13 to 21, under the heading, Christian hope is worth fighting for. And let me tell you something, Christian hope, you could say Christian joy, those do not just show up on your doorstep like from Amazon. No, you fight for these things. That means you push back against other elements that are not good for your heart and your soul. And you grab a hold of truth, and at times you stubbornly dig in and say, Oh no, oh no, I will not, I will not give in to a hopeless, joyless existence. I won't. Caution come what may, yes. I will live with hope. God, help me. So, heading number one, Christian hope is not reserved for good and safe times. I want us to see that this letter, 1 Peter, written by Peter, of course, the apostle, was written to people in uncertain times, in uncertain days, where there were plenty of things to be scared of. And it's also an epistle of joy and hope. So, I've given you some text there on your sermon notes. You can see where I'm going as I move reasonably quickly through these. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we read God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, chosen, that is, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now watch this blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And on he goes. It pains me to not just read the whole book. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, can you imagine? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Speaking against God's people, chapter 4, verse 1, skipping a big section. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. You see this. Why do you expect otherwise? Exactly. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God there's there's the driving force verse 7 the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers are the end of all things at hand is are these the end times i would love to have had everybody who asked me that give me 5 dollars i would be in hawaii on a beach somewhere <laughs> Are these the end times? According to the Bible, yes, absolutely these are the end times. Anything after the death, burial, and resurrection in the Bible is called the end times. And I know the question really is, but are we at the end of the end times? And of course, I'll let you know uh, when I know. Uh, You never know until the end. It's like saying, are we almost there? Well, I don't know until we're there. Then I could tell you we were almost there five miles ago, but other than that, I, I don't know. The end of all things, though, Peter would say, the end of all things is at hand, he says a couple thousand years ago. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Watch that term, sober-minded. We'll see it again. Same chapter, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, when would that ever happen? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Down to verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. A winnowing, perhaps? Could it be? It is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Now, this book then is written to foster hope in the heart of a believer, but it makes no bones about the fact that we live in a fallen world and fear is a common feature of it. So this book is a real-world book. It's a real-world letter. Uh, Peter says, I call you to a living hope in verse 3, and then he says, don't be so surprised by what you see. I want to say several things under this about Christian hope, and then we'll drill down further into another paragraph. Christian hope is not living in denial. Christian hope is not living in denial. Um, I, I, please understand what I'm about to say, and don't go too far with it. Uh, I, I, have, I have been aware, as of you, that we live in a season where fear is everywhere. I would suggest intentionally fostered, not for our good. I, I press back against fear. Don't motivate me that way. I do. I'm a child of God. I was called to hope and to joy. You can motivate me a lot of ways, but the minute somebody says, oh, be afraid, be very afraid, right away my heart says, oh, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm sorry. I don't wear a seatbelt because I'm scared. That's not it. You want me to wear my seatbelt all the time, as I do? Don't just show me car crashes. That's not it. I press back. Uh, I, I have in, in, internally, I, I remember thinking about this. This is my life, not yours, not asking you to make any same decisions as me. But I remember early on in this whole current circumstance, Kathy and I having to make decisions along with our staff. So early on, uh, as, as we're being called to be afraid, I understand and react. I'm not against cautions, not at all. But I remember being called to bedside of a man dying of cancer people associated with this church but a number of people in that family not knowing Jesus are you going to go or are you going to zoom I don't know man well yes you're going to go you're going to say God who do I fear most what do I fear most I'm going to go yeah absolutely and I'm going to draw near to that bedside and speak of Jesus into the ear of a dying man. Right? And you would do the same. I know you would. I'm just saying, Christian hope is not living in denial. How many times, if you live with hope, do you hear somebody say, then you're not taking life seriously? You go, please stop that. I take it all extremely seriously, but I will not live in fear. So Christian hope, I'm saying, does not mean you live in denial. Oh, no, not at all. Second, Christian hope is not reserved for optimists or positive thinkers. It's easier for you to think that way because you're a glass-half-full guy. Oh, really? Huh. 
How do you know that? No, Christian hope is the heritage of every child of God. See? Again, I'm not saying you don't live with cautions. I don't mean that. I mean hope. The attitude of your soul. Living with joy or its absence. This is the heritage of a child of God. It's not reserved for positive thinkers or eternal optimists. Christian hope is not based on things here improving. Since when is that the basis for your hope? Oh, promise me, it's going to get better. Really? Which? Which which of this fallen world is going to get better? Yeah. Wow. Because uh, I'm telling you, when that domino falls, there's going to be another domino fall. And another domino fall. And another domino fall. Again, I, I look back at the last hundred years. I mentioned wars. Man, the last hundred years has seen more bloodshed and death by illness than a lot of other years. I remember hearing recently a chronicling of uh, you know, some of the some of the other bloodshedding moments. Some of them specific to children of God. Saint Bartholomew Day's massacre. If you just study your history, um, thirty thousand Protestants killed in one night for their faith. You ever heard of that? You know, look it up. Uh, all kinds of things have happened to people of God down through the years. Man. No, Christian hope, Christian hope is not based on things you're improving. That's not it. If that's where your hope is, man, well, finally, I can live again. Well, okay, I get it on one level, but no, 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 hope, hope is not it. That's not it. Christian hope is not at odds. Hear me say this. It's not at odds with caution and common sense. It's not what I'm saying. Have I said that enough already? I'm repeating it for a reason so that nobody says, would you hear him today? I, I hope you did. Christian hope is not at odds with caution and common sense. It's about living with joy and living with hope the way a child of God should. So I'm saying this. Christian hope is the result of believing the gospel of a resurrected Savior. See, this is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again too. Do you see this? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He conquered what many today would say is your my worst fear. Is that your worst fear? Well, I am grateful that we stand in terms of faith. We stand on the shoulders of a lot of men and women whose greatest fear wasn't death. Their greatest fear was not living out the purpose of God for their life. That was a bigger fear. No, as long as I have breath, I will. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, uh, when he was 17, wrote a whole list of, of resolutions where he said, by God's grace, if I have anything to do about it, and I hope I do, here are things that I will and will not do. And he lived his life like that. I will not give in to fear like that. Oh, no. Christian hope is a result of believing the gospel of a resurrected Savior. No, Jesus conquered death. Trusting God's presence in this life. Does he have you in his hands or does he not? Just asking. The answer is yes, he does. He holds you in his hands. You know, as you'll see in the next section, I, with you, have to fight to hold on to these things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Trusting God's presence in this life. Does he know what he's doing? Yes, I take that by faith. And I read the word of God and I see he has the whole world in his hands, including me. 
and you. He does know what he's doing. He does. Living with confidence in heaven to come. Well, someone has said, you've heard me say this statistic, remarkable statistics on life and death. One out of every one people will die. Barring the return of Jesus. I don't mean to be casual with that. Not at all. I'm living enough of a real world to not be casual with that. But confidence in heaven to come. Confidence in that other end. Now, I want to go then to verses 13 to 21 and spend just a few more time, a few more minutes pressing on this issue of Christian hope worth fighting for. And I want you to hear the language that's used here. Okay? So here again, the Word of God, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. We read, Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Here's the central command. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There. That's the main point. Set your hope. This is an action. It's a command in God's word. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. More on that in a minute. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him, as who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. Whoa, whoa. Fear of what? Or fear of whom? This is a different fear, isn't it? It's fear of God. Asking, of course, again, in the text, what do you fear the most? Or whom do you fear the most? Conduct yourself with fear during the time of your, of your exile, your stay on earth, knowing this, that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days, that's now, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, what is this about? Well, I mentioned in the reading, setting your hope is the central command. Two, two phrases that lead the way to that. First of all, preparing your minds for action, or, and I think it's the old King James, but I, I don't have it in front of me, gird up the loins of your mind. Yes. yes. Now, now listen, a little lesson in textual stuff. Gird up the loins of your mind. You're going to quickly say, who talks like that anyway? I'm sure glad modern translations have cleaned that up. Well, Yes, but in cleaning it up, we, we skipped an idiom. We made it more palatable to our ears. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's weird. Uh, yes, I know, but it's drawing on a word picture. Okay, it's drawing on a word picture of a Roman soldier who would be wearing a robe ordinarily, but going into battle because he doesn't want to have his head cut off that day. Prior to going into battle, he will gird up his loins. That is, he will tuck the lower edges of his robe up into that cool belt. That's what he'll do, so that he's more nimble. He can get around. Something's going to get in his way. It's going to hinder him in battle. He's going to be the casualty. So because he doesn't want to be the casualty, he, he girds up his loins, tucks the robe up, and says, okay, come get me now. And then he goes into, ba- goes into, goes into battle. 
So the analogy here behind the word picture uh, is captured, I think, maybe better by the older phraseology. Gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, yes, prepare your minds. I get it. Prepare your mind for action. And then companion to this, the next phrase, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Now, that doesn't just mean, you know, don't tell jokes, take yourselves too seriously. It's not about that. It's being focused on the right things. Focused on the things that matter 30 seconds after you die, as I put here in front of you, as opposed to being intoxicated, having nothing else controlling your mind than the living Spirit of God and the powerful Word of God. Be sober-minded. May I suggest it also means guarding what stuff you allow to barrage your mind. Did you know we live in a day? Yes, you do. You knew this. We live in a day of way too much information. And if you do not guard what information assaults your brain, I don't know how you would live with hope and joy. I have no idea how you would do it. I recently, maybe you know this, I recently watched a special on Netflix called Social... What's it called? Somebody reminded me. Social Dilemma. Thank you. Somebody else has seen it. Yeah. Social Dilemma. Some people understand these things called algorithms on the Internet. Other people don't. But you know how it is if you search for baby diapers on Amazon and suddenly they're sending you every ad possible on baby diapers? It happens. Yes. Try to you know get something for Mother's Day or whatever, and you know what? It'll send you ads for weeks on that thing because somebody wrote the algorithm to, for this because they think you're more likely to, okay, buy diapers. It's not about diapers. The more you click on stories following one line of thinking, did you know that our wonderful news media will send you more and more stories that will reinforce your current thinking, whatever it is you're thinking? If you love conservative conspiracy stories, you're going to get 5,000 of them. And you're going to look around and say, everybody's getting all this stuff. Why doesn't everybody believe this? Well, it's because they're not getting the same news feed as you. They're down this other path over here about something else, and they're getting 5,000 stories to reinforce their thinking. And in the, in the little special called Social Dilemma, some of the top dogs who created that resigned because they can see the disaster that's playing out among the people who are barraged by this information. We didn't intend for this to divide the nation like this. I quit. No, really, you should check it out. Not a Christian thing, you understand, so I'm not recommending everything that is said. I'm simply saying if guarding our minds has never been more important. How do you think you're going to live with hope if you spend how many hours being barraged by whatever media that's going to suck the joy right out of you. Just, you know, it's interesting that the text says preparing your minds for action, girding up your minds for action, and being sober-minded. That involves choosing what stuff you allow to, to capture your mind and your imagination. This is very practical stuff. Uh, I didn't make it up. I think it's inherent as we apply that text to us. And that leads to, if you'll do those things, preparing your, guarding your mind, watching out those, set your hope fully. It's a command. It's a command. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's things that you should know and you should hold on to that will affect the way you live every single day. No, my life is in God's hands. Now, but the fact that these are battle-type terms, I, I suggest to you 
that these things must be entered into with a battle-like mindset. Fighting for hope. Fighting for joy. Choosing the stuff you get to dwell on. You'll find that in other texts as well. Philippians 4, of course, and Romans 12. Keeping track of what stuff you allow your mind to dwell on so that you are a hope-giving Christian, not a hopeless one. No, fight for these things. Fix your hope on them. Now, I put on your notes here these terms, put off and put on. I call it a gospel rhythm. This text does not use the, those terms as Paul does, say, in Colossians. But the, the, the rhythm is here. Put off these things. Put on these things. Adopting a certain lifestyle and the fears, may I say, not of the world around us. So Peter says, as obedient children, don't be, this is the put off, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And may I suggest the fears that attend to your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Put on some things, in other words, as Paul would say too. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. You conduct yourself with fear during the time of your exile. In other words, this is a fear-directed God word, not at the things that are going to happen in this fallen world. It's a God word fear, fear of God. That's the th- those are things to put on here. So put off and put on. Live like a child of God, for goodness sakes. How about that? What do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? Who do you fear the most? Well, these are things to think about. You look at verse 19. See, we're put here on this earth to live God's purpose, to live out God's purpose, a mission-driven purpose, a glory of God purpose. And, and to achieve this, you were not purchased with something cheap. But as Peter says, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were purchased to live right at this time. You know, sometimes people talk about just the, you know, the random thing. Why was I born now instead of later? Why was I born now instead of earlier? What's the answer to that, child of God? You're here because God wanted you to live right now. Right now. That's why you're here. That's why it's, you didn't live in 1650. Not that that was a bad year. No, I'm saying God had those people for then. He has you for here. You're a a parent. God has given you those little darlings for such a time as this. How could you bring children? Well, you know what? God is God today. You're going to wait till what happens before it's a better time. No, this is a wonderful time to bring children in this world and point them to Jesus and instill in them a stubborn faith and send them off to be difference makers in this world. What did you think you signed up for? If it's to hang out in your house with the doors locked, let me just tell you, that isn't it. Right? You've been born again to what? Well, a living hope, man. So get on that. And I put here again, without intending to be overly irritating to anyone, the Great Commission does not say, stay safe. I'm not against safety, but that isn't the Great Commission. And let me tell you something. If you read the annals of church life, I thank God for men and women who weren't afraid and marched into places and took the gospel knowing they were probably going to get their heads cut off or eaten. And they went anyway. Their mothers weren't yelling, stay safe after them. 
I, I, I press back against I, that, that. I get safety. I do. You know, sure. I'm all about safety. Vest. I know. I know. I know. But, dear God, invest your life. Don't just spend it. Man, I, I look at the Moravians, the history of the Moravians, gospel-loving, mission-driven people who sent people on mission with their supplies packed in their coffin because they would surely need it. How about that? Would you send your child? Those parents did because Christ was more important than, than, than now. And if I keep you here at home, I have no guarantee you're going to stay safe here. So serve the purpose of God and go to the world. And they did. And many died. You go to the shoehorn part of Africa. There was a time when that was called the white man's graveyard because of how many Europeans went there with the gospel and died. And they were followed by others. Stay safe. Really? Really? People adopt this and say it. And I think, man, what a, sorry, what a sub-Christian title to live by. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah buckle your seatbelt. Wash your hands. I know that. But stay safe. Don't tell me stay safe. Like that's my life mission. That's the farthest thing from my life mission. And I sure hope it isn't yours. Live like a Christian. Live like a Christian. It doesn't mean reckless. I know. I know. Well, let me say this. Remembering the main point. On this Mother's Day 2021, I, I want you to hear this. Parenting has always been attended by fears. Always. Always. In every generation. Christian parents have had to push back against fear and hold on to the hope that is ours because of our living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your hope. That's your heritage. Parenting with hope, not fear. It's all about Christ, our risen Savior. Well, uh, I look at that little part down at the bottom, responding to God's word. If I could just look with you for a moment here, I'm not going to talk a lot about each of them. But I'm just wanting you to think about this. How can you infuse hope into other people? How can you do it? What rhythms are in your life that are hope-filled and hope-giving? And my third little bullet point, I don't mean to be unnecessarily feather-ruffling, though if it is, I'll take it. Are you a faith builder or hope and hope-giver? Or are you a life-sucker and hope-less, spelled that way on purpose, hope-less wet blanket? Which one do you do? happily stealing joy from I mean which one are you in a world attended by fears do you build faith in the people around you do you give hope do you ooze hope enough to where people say what is with you why are you so full of hope and joy because you're a child of God for goodness sakes well I'd like to pray for us would you stand with me I have just a couple of announcements at the end of that and then we'll send you out. But let me let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this text, this letter from Peter written to suffering people and people who could anticipate more of the same. And here he calls them as he calls us to joy. Living hope. Hold on to hope. Father, may we hear this challenge, call, command, echo down through the years from you to us. Give us hope and joy in believing you. I pray that this would be a a day that is good, pointed to Christ. Again, whatever our context and our family and our memories and so on, that you would meet us in this day and let us live with joy. 
I pray for courage for your people. I pray for parents today, moms in particular, who have their hands full of little ones and uh, sometimes get lost in the detail. Is it ever going to end? Will this ever be different? Father, give them hope. Give them joy. Give them perspective. Patience for one more day. Father, we trust you now, all because of Jesus, and we pray together in his name. Amen.